This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller, his guy Friday Christian Blatt, and superstar producer Lindsay Floyd. And now, it's him, Dennis Miller. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Dennis Miller Option. And uh, we're coming to you, uh, I don't know when we're recording this. I don't know when it's playing, so I won't talk to you about current events because I've got two crackerjack guests to record a couple episodes with one of them my dearest friend uh i shouldn't say that it will put him on the spot he's got many dear friends one of my dearest friends in the world musician peter noon his website is peternoon.com he's on twitter at instagram at peter noon herman what's shaking hey dennis how are you doing today Good, my friend. Where are you? You're you're in town, right? You didn't get trapped out of town somewhere, did you? Well, I was always a bit of a hermit, but now I'm a full-on hermit, staying here in town. <laughs> I'm right around the corner. I can see one of your trees. Herman B. <laughs> well, don't come over and shake it. We might all get hay fever. <laughs> yeah. Have you? I know you like a nice walk every morning. You've been taking your walks, right? Yeah, I'm up to eight miles a day now are you pete yeah i did twelve thousand five hundred steps yesterday how long do you think that is any guesstimate how, how... Uh, that's probably about three miles no four miles mm-hmm. i think it is just depends how long your strides are well my strides are regular they always give you that and they <laughs> act like like i'm groucho swooping into a room in animal crackers or something i have a regular stride yeah groucho well you know what it is is i figured that when all this is over I'm going to be the fittest guy around and go and pick up, you know, like show up for 300 gigs in a row. <laughs> well, you know, because I'm a roadhog. Your backlog will dictate that. <laughs> exactly. My backlog. They keep moving them further. You know, I said, I said to my agent, take that date. We'll take it. If they're not going to go, we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Force majeure. We can use this. To- <laughs> Just say it's a uh, pay or play situation. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, I'm ready. I can't wait uh, to get back on the road. I'm sure you're the same. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I forgot that. Yeah, you don't. Well, I I kind of enjoy it. I'm still one of those. I can't I can't figure out what else to do with myself. To tell you the truth, Dennis. So I'm always excited to go on the road. Well, Pete, geez, you're in a renaissance period. Uh, the last I talked to you, I mean, I, I swear, I, th- I thought you were telling me you were doing 100 to 150 dates a year. I mean, what a blessing that is at this point in any of our careers, right? Well, you know, I'm only 72, and a lot of my competition are quite a bit older than that. So I'm hoping that my audience can still show up after this uh, long hermit run here. Well, Pete, you know, in the rock and roll field, there are 32-year-olds who are older than 72. So God bless you for actually (laughs) fighting to your weight. Uh, Hey, by the way, I finished the uh, squeeze book. It's not a squeeze book, really. It's the, but, oh, it was great. Thank you. I I was planning on giving it back to you at lunch, but it looks like we'll next be lunching in, uh, with Zager and Evans in the year 2525. (laughs) But uh, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great read. Yeah, it's it's just funny. I knew you'd get the, all the inside stuff, you know, all the English expressions and all that because of your friendship with English people. I mean, it's great inside rock and roll silliness, really, you know, like his mom and cups of tea and getting drunk or, as he's called, getting pissed again. 
Right. The great way to do these books now, folks, and we're talking to my friend Peter Noon, who's probably a half a mile away from me, but we, we don't yeah. see, we might as well live in opposite countries. But uh, the, the great thing is now you can literally put together a set list of all the songs they mention. Cause you know, I read a lot of uh, oral histories of, and look backs at eras and rock bands and that. I just love the fact that I can, you know, I, I had forgotten how many great, great squeeze songs there were. And uh, you can just play it as it comes up. Then we wrote a thing like coffee and Ben, you know, and uh, you, you listen to the whole song again. And then, you know, it takes two and a half minutes. All their songs are quick and you're right back into the book. It's a fun way to go through it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that. I'm a, I'm a bit of a loony. I, we have days. We have a Rolling Stones day and a Herman's Hermits day. And uh, the, the Herman's Hermits days are much shorter than the Rolling Stones do. Uh, <laughs> days because it's less of a career it's a shorter career but um uh, uh, and um then we have a zz top day and then yesterday we had a a weird kind of um uh i don't know what you call it really um baroque music day mm, how fun yeah it is and you're talking about with your daughter and your wife i guess exactly i make them hey by the way before i forget there's a stunning uh zz top documentary out right now and i only watch netflix or amazon prime so it's on one of those two you can find it but it's uh, around uh, an hour and 45 minutes and it's just great there's such uh, such a cool documentary so give that a watch and uh by the way before i forget another thing natalie's album is so great man gee what are you american girl is absolutely great it is great. It is great. And I'm good for her. You know, it's taken her a long time to get going, but she's finally started. Just as it all sort of stops working, she's got to work. When it's over, she'll have some more stuff up there and be able to promote it. She wants to go out and sing it like I did, you know. You know, the early days of rock and roll were that you, you got a band and you went out and played the songs. And we were lucky we'd play at the Cavern and they accepted. We, we used to open to catch people's attention. We, we used to open with my boy lollipop do, 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 do. and we were the only band in liverpool who did that song <laughs> you make my heart go Philippop. yeah it's not a song that most boys would feel like singing you know but i was fearless and and then we do mrs brown you got a lovely daughter and then as as like a like she wants to do is just catch people's attention um you know then we do mother-in-law and no one ever thought how strange is it that that's a Herman? He's fifteen and he's got a mother-in-law. <laughs> well, tell Nat I find "American Girl" a very sultry song, man. I think it's yeah. super groovy and uh, good for her. I don't know who she's in the studio with, but I think the producer found a great niche for her voice, man. It's it's it's, it's a great album. We listened to it. Oh, good. Let's see, we've put it on one of our main playlists. I hear it probably every three, four days now in the background, and I love it. Ah, uh, great. But I do want to say that I miss you, and somebody told me now, if uh, in the unlikely uh, circumstances that I want you to read me to sleep, are you doing <laughs> bedtime stories on Facebook? <laughs> yeah, it was just a bit of a gag, really. I was talking to some old friends like Calvin, who was in Johnny Hates Jazz, and he mentioned Graham Nash. So I went, <laughs> I got a Graham. They're all right here next to me in my office. 
and I got the Graham, Graham Nash book down mm-hmm. and read a, a piece from it that is completely wrong. You know, like, and then what are you talking about? The, if you didn't record For Your Love first, the yard, the, the Yardbirds got it, Ermans Hermits got it, and, and, you know, I just told the truth about it. So it's, so it's kind of a bit fun. It's all rock and roll stories. Well, I, I love that stuff because certainly there's enough that comes out of Graham Nash's pie hole that's true, but uh, it, it's like the old thing in uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance or something when print the legend or something I, I think a lot of guys in the rock and roll field do that but i'd love to hear that uh the uh well either the exaltation or the debunking of a particular story they're both fascinating me when we said peter was going to be on we had a whole bunch of questions and comments from his fans and listeners and i think the best way for me to do this would be to read and demarcate and let peter answer the question Geez, all we did was say Peter's coming on, and we got uh, almost two dozen phone calls and comments here. All right, number one, Laura from Toronto. Peter Manoon, this is your life. Uh, No, Laura from Toronto tweets her question. How are you coping in these uncertain time with concerts rescheduling? You know, Dennis, what we did to reschedule the concerts was we started too early to just take the date and say, this is probably not going to happen. Would you like to take the same de- this date in August? And we just quickly we got ahead of it and because I want to do the dates. So rather than put all the onus on the promoter to cancel the date, we said, let's not cancel it. Let's reschedule it and put it far, far away because we expect to be alive for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. So most of it got moved to June, July, August, and September. And whenever it's and announced if june needs to be moved we'll move that to october and just keep ahead of it because i want to do all the dates yeah prior to the virus my ticket sales were lagging to the point where the doctor encouraged me to socially isolate at one of my shows (laughs) (laughs) number two number two Maureen Hughes from Pennsylvania asks, will you continue to meet your fans and do autographs after your concert once you return from the road? I know you told me recently uh, that you were you had been down doing a lunchtime show, I think you said, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and you <laughs> laid face down on some hard surfaces after the show in, in an effort to hook up with your fans. Still doing that? <laughs> yeah i'm still doing that i I think you know i have said in that that autograph line i would give you a hug if i could get my arms around you and (laughs) i've also said that no selfies tonight maybe you know i'm i'm a bit nervous about that but i told you dennis that once i was on a tour with david jones from the monkeys and he said i don't like people putting my their arms around me because I get their armpit most of the time. <laughs> it's a short joke. And uh, I've been okay. I've been okay. I, I mean, uh, the last day I did in Florida, it was kind of an older audience, but they all wanted a selfie and an autograph and, a, and a, a tell me their story. I remember me from Atlantic City, 1965. And I'd say, yeah, yeah, I remember you're the one who pushed the horse off that driving board. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, you know, I, I guess we're going to have to, you and I know people who never shook hands with anybody. 
and mm-hmm. I may go to that, and, and it may be a good excuse for me to be more reclusive. Like I, I've always liked being under the radar a little bit, and I think of, of of being friendly and sociable is the job part. And then I saw her pit. Now I've got Corona. <laughs> that was my favorite David Jones song. <laughs> yeah. Number three, Fran Brenner from El Segundo, California, has two questions. Ask Peter if he will be doing any more solo acoustic shows like he did at the Iridium in New York in February, hopefully on the West Coast. And uh, that's the first part. I know you enjoyed that experience, but it's pretty nerve-wracking, isn't it? It was the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done. I had to stop thinking, you know, because I kept uh, second, you know, that second-guessing yourself. Am I, am I going the right direction here? Is this it scary enough? And um, I probably will do it again because I'm a sucker for work. You know, people, I can't say no when somebody says, hey, we've got this date for you and not at all, you don't. And I like your idea when you called it the no band per diem tour. <laughs> Certainly, it cuts your over, the no overhead tour, you should call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just show up with a guitar and tell stories and sing. It's just what I do with the band. I like my band, though. You know, I, I'm sort of a bit of a weirdo because I really still enjoy my songs. And some of them are like uh, 1964. You know, I was 15, 16 in the studio and I still get a buzz singing them. Hmm. I wish everybody did. 56 years ago and still uh, something tells me I'm into something good. It resonates with me. Occasionally I'm driving on the freeway up and i'll always hear you on the classic station and i and they put such a smile on my face and then i think i always say to my son who's with me in the car i go i know him now do you know what a weird trip that is for me that i used to watch him on the sullivan show and now i know him. very cool number four number four number four lisa from northridge also asks when you get back on the road again can you schedule some more fan club dues and sound checks. I get the idea what a do is. Sound check, you let them come in and watch you set up? Yeah, it, it's. I think it's very interesting for, for fans to see the whole process, that it isn't just a show that you walk on stage and do it. You know, they have to watch. The sound check is the drummer. You know, he gets an hour. Tip, 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 top, 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 pop, 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 pop. Then they do the monitors. Hello, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then we play a few songs together to get so we could all hear each other and the sound guy can get the, the the room and everything and that takes about an hour and then after that I do a Q&A which is the first opportunity anybody who's been to, who's never been to a sound check gets to talk to the drummer and the you know gets to talk to the musician so what is that whatever you know what's your story and I introduce all the guys and I think it's pretty interesting to the fan club people to see the way the whole thing works and that we we genuinely like each other as musicians. Because, you know, Dennis, if you watch like the Beatles at the beginning, like at Shea Stadium, they're in love with each other, man. They're having so much fun singing their songs and looking at each other and interacting with each other. And, I, and I'd like to think that that could be part of my thing. I've always tried to go for that. Like, let's all enjoy this together. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so I think it's important that they see the whole process. And then they get to ask the drummer, why do you go tip, 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 top, top, top? And he goes, because I'm deaf. 
<laughs> well, I, I want to take this opportunity to announce a special Dennis Miller premium package at my personal appearances, where for $17.50 extra, you can come in in late afternoon, early evening. We call it our dusk package. And right up close and personal, you'll get to watch me disabuse a minion of the notion that we're actually friends in real life. So that's seventeen fifty. <laughs> is that called the uh, Christian package? I believe. Yes, it is the Christian package, and uh, you'll you'll really get to see me. We call it a a, a a dream squasher package. So come on in. There'll be a kid who thinks we're tight. I'll light him up over a minor fracas, something like Pellegrino versus Perrier. He'll be sent off into the darkness, and you'll you'll know me a little better. Hey! Now more than ever, we're all thinking about our health. But if you're like me, it's hard to even imagine going to a doctor's office right now. Thankfully, there's a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. Steady MD is your personal doctor online. It's telehealth done right. You start by taking a quiz to get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your lifestyle and your health needs. Next, you have a one-hour appointment with your doctor to start a real relationship. After that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone, or video chat. Unlike other services, this isn't a random doctor on call. Each steady MD doctor has a limited number of patients, so they have time to listen and give you personal attention, the personal attention that you deserve. All right, so I took the quiz, and I don't have through the roof blood pressure, but through the first floor ceiling. So I took the quiz, logged that in. Now I'm hooked up with somebody who can really help me knock that thing down where it should be. Get out! blood pressure. SteadyMD can help you get and stay healthy, manage chronic conditions and concerns, reduce stress, lose weight, sleep better, feel better, boost your immunity, and much, much more. All from the comfort of your home, skip the waiting room and the germs. Prescriptions sent to your home or local pharmacy, all your medical records in one place, and you get unlimited access to your doctor for only $99 per month. No additional visit fees or co-pays. SteadyMD will even help you understand and get the most out of your health insurance. But insurance is not required. SteadyMD is now accepting members of all ages in all 50 states. Go to SteadyMD.com Dennis to take the free quiz and see which doctor is a perfect fit for you. SteadyMD.com Dennis. There's no risk, no long-term commitment to get started. That's SteadyMD.com slash Dennis, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you, SteadyMD. Lisa from Northridge, number four, writes, I was fascinated by the article in the AARP magazine. My God, we've got from ARP synthesizers to ARP magazines on your collection of first edition books. What books do you have? What's your favorite? What's your oldest first edition? My oldest first edition is uh, Winston Churchill, which my wife bought me for uh, my wedding present. When we got married, she bought me. And I've got, I only kind of buy, buy books that I'm interested in. So I've got a lot of English history books and a lot of French books because my wife is French and we 
we sort of speak French and I got all kinds of great French books and, uh, you know, sites and monuments of France and stuff like that. Tell me about uh, Lafayette. Was he, uh, does he fascinate you in particular since he straddles the pond from France to maybe birthing our country, quite frankly? I, I think William the Conqueror is my favorite bloke, you know. We, we made us all bow down to the French. And um, I, like, uh, I like Louis XIV. I got a book of first editions. He's not signed, of course, called The Sun King. And that's pretty fascinating. You know, the guy who invented the greenhouse, really, wanted, he wanted to grow fruit in Paris, so he built L'Orangerie. And uh, <laughs> pretty interesting stuff. You know, I'm a pretty, pretty casual reader. You know, I only read a little bit at a time. Isn't that funny? The other day I was sitting outside and I put the entirety of Abbey Road on and I went from uh, Here Comes the Sun over to the other side, the Sun King, and they both have the line here. here yeah. com- and I'm trying to, did, did Harrison also write Sun King or what, what, uh, what am I missing there? Is that just a coinkadink that the two songs end up together? I don't, I think Here Comes the Sun and Here Comes the Sun King are two different ideas, but who knows? Here comes the sun. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that genius. And then here comes the sun. And I was thinking, wow, only the Beatles could have songs on one, two songs on one album and have them both be so brilliant and start with the same uh, the kickoff line. So oh, yeah. there's your Beatles stunner for the day. Um, yeah. We're talking to my friend Peter Noon and... Uh, Pete's, uh, if you want to have a, a bedtime story, Pete will read one for you. Or for an extra $14, he'll bungee down from your roof and kick your fucking plate glass window in at <laughs> three in the morning. Like Frank Langella in uh, Come In as a Bat and uh, Suck Some Hemoglobin Out of Your Neck. That's 14 extra dollars. Let's go back to our questions from our listeners. Claire wants to know if you've ever had the opportunity to perform with Cliff Richards. You know, I didn't until very recently. He came to Santa Barbara. My wife and some other people talked to him, said, calmed him, talked him into doing a benefit for a Dream Foundation. Mm-hmm. And he is the most charming guy. And you know what we found out about Cliff Richards, which is he's the third biggest selling record person of all time. It's like Beatles, Elvis Presley, then Cliff Richard, because he had all that Commonwealth, what used to be called the Commonwealth, you know, Australia and New Zealand and South Africa. He had all of that stuff. And he sold hundreds of millions of records. We didn't even know until it was read out before they introduced him. It was absolutely brilliant. He's a fantastic singer. Like, so my thing about Cliff Richards is when you meet them, um, it's like Elvis Presley. Nobody ever told Elvis Presley, wow, Elvis, you're, the, you're such a fantastic singer. Because everyone was like shocked because he looked like Elvis. But Cliff Richard, fantastic singer, got five or six different voices. And Elvis Presley was one of those guys. No one bothered to say, wow, man, you're really, really, really a good singer. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you something, folks? In a world where you believe the thing that makes you most uh, uptight and the most tremulous about the very nature of human existence is the coronavirus. Might I remind you there's an even bigger X factor in that Keith Richards might end up outliving Cliff Richards. So there, put that in your, put that in your pipe yeah. and smoke it. 
Yeah. Judy from Georgia asks, how far do you walk each day? Well, eight miles yesterday to stay fit for your many shows. Any other favorite exercise? Well, I know you to be an, an Olympic, you know, sexual artist. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, <laughs> there is that, Your Honor. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm also famous for being um, invisible and being able to walk around towns. And that's what I do when I'm on the road. I go, I, I ask in the hotel, where's Starbucks? And they go, oh, it's on 49th Street. And you go, well, which is the best way to walk there? Oh, you can't walk there. I said, why not? Well, it's too far. And then I off I go and I, and I come back and I say, that wasn't far. You know, I mean, I, I, go, I go on a mission. I have things. I know, more, I know more towns in America than even you, Sir Dennis Miller. I've been everywhere. Well, listen, Starbucks certainly making an effort to chip in here during the times of the virus. I went in the other day and ordered a grande frappuccino, and they didn't make me get a cosigner for the fucking loan to pay for the thing. <laughs> Number seven, Debbie Sinks has a couple of questions for you. How many languages does he speak, and how many instruments can he play? Woo. How many instruments? And how, many, how many languages do I speak? I speak English fairly good i'm fluent in french <laughs> i can beat my uh i can beat my brother-in-law who's a bit of a, a, a i can beat him at scrabble because i can conjugate better than most modern french people because we learned school at school how to conjugate and uh, mm. so it's good for scrabble when you can just put another e on the end of something and still be the same word and um my english is getting better you know i i I, I I have an English accent, which is always so people think you're smarter than you are if you're English. And, and when you're rude to people with an English accent, they think it's more amusing than when you're rude to people with an American accent. Like I could say something that you said that was rude to somebody and I would say it and they wouldn't think I was being rude. I know you also told me that you had a smidgen of German that allowed you to demand a gig in Warsaw after having played <laughs> Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They kicked me out of the German class because because the ch the teacher, I think his name was Father Frost. He said, "I am going to tell you this word one time, and you can all laugh heartily. And then when I say the word ever again, you will not laugh." And so uh, we all sitting there. What could this word is? The word for father is father. <laughs> And everybody laughed for 10 minutes like we'd never heard the word before. And then 10 minutes later, he goes, Okay, Mr. Noon, what is the word for father? And I started to laugh, man. I started to laugh. And they kicked me out of the class. Go and stand in the corridor. But I, I make my wife laugh a lot because I, I do that sort of fake German. You know, like, was ist los, meine lieber Schön, Wäschertofen, Heidem? And you tell me the great, you tell me lots of great German jokes, but I, I, you know, I make my wife laugh because her mother was from Alsace, which is, you know, every time there was a war, the, the Germans went there first because they had all the white wine. So, I know. And better looking girls. So they, they would go there first. And um, so I, I, I joke, they never, her family never spoke, uh, German ever spoke a word of German, so I make I make fun of Germans for her. 
Um, a little known trivia fact, Alsace, uh, abut abutting Lorraine, famous for its uh, Lorraine Swiss cheese, little does one know that it was just a regular wheel of Havarti that had been shot through by the uh, Blitzkrieg. So that's how they, uh, that's how they made yeah. the Swiss cheese over there. It was just gun holes throughout the regular, <laughs> the regular Gouda cheese. Um, and by the way, uh, Pete, uh, <laughs> the second... <laughs> the second part of that was how many instruments do you play? I don't play anything really well. I started off on the trombone, and I, I knew you. Could, I, I realized very quickly that the two instruments that you could play that would have the least chance of meeting girls would be the trombone and the piano accordion. But it, the trombone will keep that distance, the social distance thing going, because it has that sliding mm -hmm. thing that pushes girls away. Yeah, no, and if you wore, if you had a. If you had a piano accordion, you also had to wear the lederhosen. Not for me. Yeah. And that little hat with the feather in it. So I said no for that. And I learned to play the piano at school. I went to Manchester School of Music, learned to play the piano. I'm pretty, pretty bad at that. And I play a bit of guitar and only enough to accompany myself, which is kind of useful. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Piano and guitar, I guess now. Well, Pete's a bit of a, uh, well, you know, he doesn't beat uh, blow his own horn or beat his own piano keyboard, but I can tell you in many of the Balkan countries, he's considered the Van Cliburn of masturbation, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. I, what is that, Ivanka? <laughs> <laughs> you Bill Vank! You Bill Vank! <laughs> That's just to make my wife laugh, okay? <laughs> All right, next up, we've got number eight. Number eight, Randy, also known as the pharmacist. Yeah, well, I need some more Ambien, uh, also known as. From Las Vegas, wants to know if Mrs. Brown's daughter is still lovely. You know, I would suppose she is. You know, I think if you start off well, uh, her name was Wendy Herman, and she was a member of the, uh, Graham Goodman was, was in this club called the JLB. And for some reason, Peter Noon was a welcome visitor to the JLB, uh, which is the Jewish Lads Brigade in Manchester. Mm -hmm. And there was a girl there called Wendy Herman, who is the person that I sang Mrs. Brown's You Got a Lovely Daughter to. She wanted nothing to do with me, but she was very cute. And, you know, they, they usually stay cute. Those little Jewish girls turn out cute for a long time. Now, you didn't do the Father Frost character at the JLB meetings, did you? No, I didn't. I did. I just went in there and sang uh, "My Boy Lollipop" and uh, and uh, "Have a Nagila." Yeah, because you don't want to watch walk into the JLB mixer and go, "You will dance." <laughs> Pete, have you seen? Uh, <laughs> have you seen who killed Roger? What is that film? Have you seen who killed Jojo Rabbit or that film yet? Did we talk no. about that? I have not seen that. Oh. Peter, please do it tonight. You'll you'll absolutely adore it. It's got a lot of quirky humor in it. Believe it or not, the comic relief in the movie is Hitler. That's funny. Well, I, I'm telling you, I, I don't want to spoil it, but you have to watch it. It's really, I found it a great movie. I know other people find it uh, off-putting, but I, I thought it was brilliant. And like I said, the comic relief is provided by one Adolf Hitler. Unbelievable. Then, then I will watch it. I take all your recommendations, remember, Dennis. Otherwise, next time you meet me, you'll say, have you read that? And I'll go, oh, no, I haven't had time to do that. I, I, all your recommendations I follow up on because I'm a diligent 
uh, fan. Well, I'm just pushing out of harbor today on an Ian Hunter rock memoir, so I'll keep you posted. I bet you this is an interesting one. Number nine, number nine, Gene Beretta asks, when you're on tour in the U.S. and other countries, do you have special eateries or attractions that you must visit each time? Good question. Uh, it's a good question, but you know, on the road, we have a vegan in the band. So oh, Jesus. We can, yeah, I know. And, and like that famous Scottish comedian says, when I hear the word vegan, I want to take a bite of a big pig's ass. <laughs> so I, uh, I go with him and we go to something like Panera Bread or something like that so he can get like that vegan stuff and I can have a chicken noodle soup or something, that, you know, something healthy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I stop at those late night. The only thing that's open on the motorway a freeway at night is McDonald's and they've got a strawberry milkshake. And they always say, they always say, yeah. And I say, could I get a strawberry milkshake? And they say, oh, you're Nick Nolte. And I go, <laughs> and I go, no, I'm not. I'm that lizard that sells insurance on the television. And then, <laughs> then I get, and then I get a strawberry and a vanilla milkshake, extra large. And they last all night. Am, am I to interpret anything out of the fact that left alone in a cup holder in the front seat of your car, a McDonald's strawberry milkshake has less erosion to it over a five-year period than the face of the Sphinx? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, what was that you told me once, and my mouth still waters, but I can't remember the item. There was something delicious at one of the around-the-world menus in Epcot. Do you remember what it was? You went to some place in Epcot, and you told me something once, I said, God, that sounds good. Do you remember the dish you were talking to? Oh, yeah. This... Actually, you know, I've been a lot since then, and the Moroccan place has got a good couscous, which is a, one of my favorite things. Right. And, and France has got this good little, like, um, there's a couple of good places there. I can't remember which one I told you, but Morocco's got a good couscous whenever you're there. That was it, Pete. Now, you okay. think I'm not listening to you at lunch and barely nodding off, but I'm listening to everything. Look how I remembered it was the couscous at the Moroccan in Epcot. And if yeah. I'm listening to that piece of batshit knowledge, I'm listening to everything. Exactly. You must be, you, you know, you have a good bit of storage up there. And by the way, I'm sorry for buttressing the word batshit up against the, a restaurant recommendation. I guess that's verboten right now. I think so. Let's go to number 10, Mark Hunt, which is the name we used to when we were kids and we had a substitute teacher and she would pass out. <laughs> I can't even. Can I say this, Christian? Jump in here. Yeah. No, you can go ahead and say it. Sure. <laughs> well, you remember they'd pass out the seating chart and tell you to put your name on it. And when we were in like second grade, somebody would put Mike Hunt, uh, M-I-K-E-H-U-N-T, and then... She would go to ask a question, and she'd say, all right, let's see. My cunt? Nobody would answer. And she'd say, my cunt? And nobody would answer. She said, does anybody know where my cunt is? And we'd all be sitting there like little demons. No, she did not. <laughs> um, we're now going to read Yellow River by I.P. Daly. Mark Hunt, a.k.a. Ask a closet Coronation Street fan question. I would love to hear some tales of your time on the cobbles 
including what it was like working with such Corey legends like Bill Roche, Violet Carson, and Arthur Lowe. Yeah, I was on Coronation Street in 1961, which is, uh, it sounds like a, it's a century ago, but uh, 1961, and uh, I played the son of Len Fairclough, and I was Stanley Fairclough, and I, I didn't do much acting because I, they, they were looking for a 12-year-old boy, and I was the perfect 12-year-old boy with a Manchester accent because I was in Manchester 12 years old and I had a Manchester accent. But my dad was, uh, his name was Peter Adamson, but I'm sure it happened to lots of people. What happened was he got in trouble with the law, and I, I got in a taxi in London, and the taxi driver said, shame about your dad. And I go, what happened with my dad? Well, you know, he's got in trouble with the, the girls and everything. I said, oh, that's not my dad. The guy jams on the brakes, get out of my cab. I go, what? Get out of my cab. Your dad gets in a bit of trouble and you deny it he's your dad. I said, it's a TV show, you idiot. He's, a TV. He's my dad on the TV. His name is Peter Adamson. My name is Peter Noon. No, you're not. You're Stanley Fair. He believed I was his real son, even though I was only acting. <laughs> you know he what's ironic, me. Pete? is when we get together on Cross-Dressing Wednesday now, your tranny name is Sandy Faircloth, and I never even knew where that came from. <laughs> you just get, you've just outed the Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> the only day we expect our meals to be picked uh, up for us. Exactly. Delivered <laughs> at the golf club. All right, we've got a voicemail here. Billy from Nebraska asks... Do you like to eat vindaloo, Peter? And I love that song that he uses in his performance. Also on Boo Girl. Wondered about that guitar sound at the beginning. Is there a name for it? And um, that's all I have. You're hilarious, Dennis. I'm already subscribed to your podcast. Glad you're having Peter on. And Do you like vindaloo, Lou? Yeah. You know, we've got a, at the beginning of my show, we play vindaloo, which is like when England played France. And it's it's kind of a rude, rude to French people. First of all, is uh, me and my mum and the dad and the kids in a bucket of vindaloo. No, no, no. Who? Where are you from? Yeah, you from? You know, like, do you put the kettle on? You know, all English <laughs> expressions shouting. It's a soccer hooligan song, and it sort of <laughs> makes the audience. It's got like that, so it kind of wakes the audience up because we don't usually have an opening act, so that song has to rev liven up the audience and um i do like vindaloo i i used to be able to eat buckets of it you know but then as you got older you know. well one of your bandmates told me that when you were eating buckets of vindaloo they kept a space cleared between you and the nearest toilet which they then referred to as the vindaloo so how funny that these old stories come back exactly and that sounds like a drummer's tale. <laughs> he beat it out in semaphore. <laughs> no, it was he was the only one behind me. <laughs> Never stand behind the herbivore. Where you don't want to be. <laughs> we have another voicemail from Barbara Wright. Babs, let's hear it. I love your show you have on, on your Facebook. And they canceled the show in Arizona. So 
when are you going to be able to schedule it? I love you. Bye. You know, this will show you the, of the depth of love that Peter's fans have for him, that a woman would take the codeine drip out of her arm and begin to call us just to... Uh... <laughs> Thank you. What did she say? She wanted to know when you're going to be back in Arizona. Uh, this year. Sometime this year, probably. We like Arizona. Can I tell you that the shape that woman sounded in this year sounds like a very specific answer? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. Wait a second. Just let me digest that one. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying she was the uh, Contessa of Bleary. Our friend Marianne in Indiana wrote in just to mention that she saw Herman's Hermits in 64 at the Coliseum in Indianapolis, and The Who opened for you. Do you remember that gig? Yeah, but we, yeah, very much. But we didn't have opening acts. Remember, they were, we, all, we used to call each other support acts because the Beatles had decided that they, when they were an opening act, they'd rather be called a support act. So the, the Who was a big support. We were good friends with The Who, so it was just a no-brainer to bring them on a tour because they played to 500,000 people in 50 days and their label would get interested. Remember, in those days, you couldn't get the label interested in, in a band. They had all these fantastic pop songs in England, like Pictures of Lily, Happy Jack, Substitute, I could, in all the pop songs. And they came to America, and they realized they were never going to be a pop act in America. So they built that new trio heavy metal thing on that tour. Mm-hmm. Did you know them when they were the high lows? I didn't know them when they were high lows, but early Who days, I knew them all really well at the, you know, when they were the Shepherd's Bush Who. And, uh, you know, they were on every little TV show as they came up. They were on Ready, Steady, Go a lot. And uh, we would run into them at Ready, Steady, Go. Uh, and interestingly, you know, John, uh, I stayed friends with them all a long, long time. And, and John Entwistle, one of his last trips around the planet, he came to Montecito. And remember, our friend had that Formula One uh, that road Formula One car, and John... Sure, Eddie, Eddie Cheever used to take people around, right? Yeah, and, and John wanted to drive it, but John had been for fish and chips, fish and chips with um, outside in that, that place, but the beach here, mm-hmm. Peter, whatever his name said, and he, the guy had put a bottle of cognac. Would they like, would they like a drink? <laughs> and uh, uh, it was like fish and chips for lunch. And we he was thinking, yeah, let's have a bottle of Chardonnay. Oh, my God. Uh, and John says, I'll have a cognac, please. So the guy, Peter, puts a bottle of cognac on the table and goes in and gets the fish and chips. And the bottle of cognac was gone. Oh, and, my God. And I think John was doing blow as well. So there was no question that he was going to be drunk. But he looked terrible. And uh, then he wanted to go in. We had him taken out. Yeah, I, I think the latter part of his life, he was often, uh, they called it fish and chip faced. So, uh, you know. I... Yeah, he lost, his, he lost his taste for the salt and vinegar French, the chips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, uh, uh, I think he went out viewing young, uh, two young prostitutes in his room in Vegas, didn't he? Don't I remember that story? That, that... No, that's not him. No? That's not him. No, I don't think so. 
Oh, Petey, you might want to go. Okay. I don't, I didn't want to besmirch him. It's like he's in the who. I didn't think it was that well, I, much of a personal besmirchment to think that he might be. Uh, I, I thought I remembered that story at the end that uh, he had a heart attack while uh, voyeur, voyeuring in Las Vegas. So, sorry, I didn't want to. Okay. Well, I'll check that out. If, if that's true, I'll put it in my uh, bedtime stories along with the, like most books are loaded up with nonsense. You know that. Most of those rock and roll books. It's like Tom Jones has me winning two fights. I never won two fights. I know. I read that book. I, I told you, I said, Peter, I didn't know you realized you were such an ass kicker. Evidently, you were down under and some uh, Anthony Burgess type kid jumped off a wall and you chinned him before he hit the ground, Tom said. Chinned is the word. Yeah. You see, what happened <laughs> is I still to this day, like I said, lots of stuff in the books and nonsense. That's true. But remember that Tom <laughs> was at both of those two fights. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put them in his book. And if you were in Australia, would you wear a frilly shirt, a Toreador jacket, Cuban heel boots, and tight trousers on Bondi Beach? No. He was asking <laughs> for trouble. <laughs> you know, my favorite story about Tom is in that book is he and Engelbert go out to their joint manager's place for a Sunday uh, you know, a Sunday, what do they call it? Not fry up, a Sunday roast. They go yeah. <laughs> out and he's got his own personal zoo and they get back into their car. They're in some shit Torino or something. And Tom said, hey, our fucking manager has a rhino and a giraffe. I'm out. That's <laughs> 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 true. <laughs> Things you don't want to see. Your manager has its own personal <laughs> citizen cane zoo, and you're driving back into town with a car that can't get inspected. So uh, that, that's my favorite story I remember out of that. All right, Pete. Well, listen, it's good to talk to you, and we will have lunch as soon as the uh, the powers that be tell us it's safe. I don't want to. When we get together. There's a big hug, and I don't want to be the one who gives Petey the corona. So we will pass on that. I'll talk to you soon. I love you. Uh, you're absolutely right about John Entwistle. Uh, it was mm -hmm. the uh, night before the 2002 Who tour was supposed to begin in Las Vegas. He had indeed uh, gone to bed with a local stripper that night and uh, overdosed on cocaine as well. So uh, you you know your celebrity deaths, Dennis. Well, my sources tell me that uh, there was two and he was watching that he had said that at that point in his life <laughs> he was voyeuristic. So I might, I might have some insight yeah. info well, from somebody. Th this there. is only in reference to the end of the night. So I don't know what, what happened before that <laughs> no that was his uh I, I, i'm surprised pete doubted me there i have a pretty good memory on this shit you know listen if i'm ever on jeopardy rock stars who jerked off and died in the midst of it for 40 alex it's a daily <laughs> double yeah it was that's what killed him all right folks that's the end of the show thanks for listening to the dennis miller option exclusively on westwood one Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. <laughs>